Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Yay! It's always a good day to see you electronically. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is. I always look forward to our recording sessions, except for the fact that, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, my process is not where I would like it to be. So there's this dread of deadline looming. But other than that, it's a thousand percent pleasure. Yeah, the deadline looming. It's just that there's other life and work deadlines. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Competing looming deadlines. I mean, I may have other work that I should have put extra focus on and didn't, but (laughs) what are you going to (laughs) do? I mean, it's all about balance. It's better to have balance and then you don't burn out. Like when you let yourself burn out, you don't do anyone a favor in the long run. I don't know. I saw a CNBC article that was like the solution to burnout question mark. It could be another job. (laughs) (laughs) But not like a new job, an additional job. Well, I mean, that's basically what we did to ourselves when we started the podcast. We gave ourselves a part-time job on top of our regular jobs. At least on my end, it helped me survive a global pandemic. No, I know. So maybe the author of that article has something. No. I mean, not another job in the sense of having another boss or another place you have to be at certain hours that you're yeah, not in this control is a, of. A passion project. Yeah. Imagine if it was just a different job with a shitty boss and like, oh, <laughs> uh, you were actually three minutes late today. So I know. Well, I do apologize to you when I'm late for a record session as if you were my boss because (laughs) I know that our times mean you're getting up to do it usually. So I do feel guilty when I'm late to doing air quotes um, for those who can't see me, which is everyone. Um, (laughs) Air quotes when I have to show up for work at our podcast. I mean, sometimes I'm late. (laughs) (laughs) You're a very conscientious passion project partner although for tax reasons we may not refer to this as a hobby i guess it is a job passion project slash job we enjoy without a boss or set hours i don't know that anything has happened this week outside of work (laughs) (laughs) what a gripping life you do lead andrew i mean it's weird because i feel like you know Sigh. Do we have any episodes where we don't say the word COVID? Probably not. But I'm just going to say, like, if we're post-COVID or we're, like, not fully in COVID, whatever you want to call this weird time, I feel like we've slid into such a mediocre version of life after COVID. Like, it's nothing like life before Yeah, it's like, I mean, I went to a park yesterday. Mm -hmm. That was nice. But that was truly like, I need to leave this apartment. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's what I mean. And I mean, I just, because of my choices have decided that I'm grateful for this post pandemic life, even though it's not like life before. And there are some parts that I like better, but there are some parts that, I mean, let's face it, just don't quite measure up. No, it's just sort of like, I guess we're used to not having plans and not doing things. So Mm -hmm. now like, small amount of plans are cumbersome (laughs) yeah I mean if I do anything I went out to lunch with someone last week and you know ate outside even though it was only like 53 degrees I mean that's the most something I've done in a really really long time yeah but there might be something in the near future (laughs) (laughs) I just feel that there will be (laughs) But what I did do this week is, I don't even know if I want to talk about Dahmer. Can we just put a pin in Dahmer for now? Yeah. But The Watcher, I started The Watcher. Have you watched The Watcher? And that's Jennifer Coolidge? Yes. I have not started. I know it's based on a true story, but from a century ago. No, it takes place in 2014. But what I think you'll find interesting is, regardless of when it took place, it is it happened and is set in Westfield, New Jersey. Does that town ring any bells to you? Okay, so immediately Lindbergh popped into my mind, but also what's, was that correct? It's near, it's not very far from there, yes, but that's, you're getting warm, but you're not hot potato. Is it John List? Yes. Oh, dang. I feel like really crazy that my brain was close to right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a case that we've covered. That is one of my personal passion projects is to re- read everything about that case every like five years but we did an episode called the boogeyman of westfield which was one of the things that they called him in the press so if you haven't listened to that episode i suggest before you watch the watcher listen to that episode because it is referenced in the watcher and you will feel so smug and so in the know when you can spot it, um, like I did. But then I was feeling very critical because of how they did it. But since Andrew hasn't watched it yet, and we don't ever want to give spoilers, I'll just keep it all to myself. I'll stuff it down with all of my disappointment and childhood shame and rage and all of those things. I'm going to put it in that box and put it away. (laughs) And then after some light Googling... Kirsten is correct. The house was built in 1905, which is what I saw. Got it. But the case was not 1905. Yes. So I'm liking it so far. I think I'm three episodes in. My mom, Gretchen, friend of the pod and OG inciting incident guest, she may have overhyped it just a little bit. Um So my expectations were really up here. But that being said, it's still good and it's creepy as fuck. So recommend so far. And then once Andrew catches up with me, then we can talk about it more. (laughs) 
but don't go in with the yellow jackets <laughs> expectation. I would not know. And someday I will let that go, but not right now. I did watch it. I know, I know. But too late for me to know anything about. So what we'll have to do is when season two comes, I'll have to rewatch the whole season so I remember. You'll remember because you have a young brain and then we'll talk about it then. I had a young brain. (laughs) I feel like that's leaving me behind. Uh, well, you can like read over the plot summaries to refresh and then all the details will come flooding back. For me, it's like solid waste that I dumped over Westfield, New Jersey as I was flying home somewhere. I don't know. That metaphor just came out of nowhere. But I think about Yellow Jackets a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and why wouldn't you? It's amazing. Anytime somebody's flying an uh, old plane, I'm like, that girl, I'm glad she blew up. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't have made it anyway. Yeah, she ended up being good enough that she didn't deserve what would come next. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't seen Yellow Jackets, like, press pause and go watch it. At least one episode because psh, you have to. Well, I don't have a transition, but should we talk about the pop culture of this case? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I truly can't think of any bridge. I'm stalling for time while I remember what our case is. Son of Sam. Oh, yes. We are still doing bite size. Now, I think that I said in episode one or two that we were doing a three-parter. Well, guess what, folks? You're getting four parts because we're still doing bite size. Today, I get to talk about the legacy of this case and how it impacted not just pop culture, but the broader world around us. So before I get into the traditional media, I want to talk about the Son of Sam law and how it directly affects the media landscape. Mm. So after his arrest in August of 1977, Berkowitz's intense presence in the media led to widespread speculation that he might sell his story to a writer or filmmaker. Now, Berkowitz denied wanting this type of deal, but the New York legislature swiftly passed preemptive legal statutes anyway, the first of its kind in the United States. Interestingly, and this might be some cocktail party banter, The law was invoked in New York 11 times between 1977 and 1990, including once against Mark Chapman, who, of course, killed John Lennon. Mm -hmm. But like everything, there's another side to this coin. Critics argued that the law infringed on freedom of speech and therefore violated the First Amendment, and that Son of Sam laws take away the financial incentive for many criminals to tell their stories. Mm. So a particular example that's been given is around the Watergate scandal, where the story is vital to the interest of the general public. In 1987, lawyers for publishing company Simon & Schuster sued the New York authorities to prevent enforcement of the Son of Sam law with respect to a book they were about to publish called Wise Guy, written by Nicholas Pileggi. The book was about ex-mobster Henry Hill and was used as the basis for the film Goodfellas. Mm. The case reached the U.S. Supreme Court in 1991, and in an 8-0 ruling on Simon & Schuster v. Crime Victims Board, the court ruled the law unconstitutional. Really? 
Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of that. It's really interesting thinking about the duality of some of these things. Like, on the one hand, it's like, of course, I don't want a serial killer to profit. Right. But on the other, it's like, well, I guess there is value in these stories. Maybe not the criminal themselves, but like, I don't know, it's, it's complicated. I mean, that seems so easy to solve for, though. It's like publishing companies can do it, but the funds don't go to the criminal. Yeah, and so kind of getting into the reasoning, the majority opinion was that the law was over-inclusive, and it would have prevented the publication of the autobiography of Malcolm X, Mm. Thoreau's civil disobedience, and even the confessions of St. Augustine. Mm. Hmm. That's so interesting. I feel like that could be an entire episode. Yeah, I mean, through all of these pieces, I mean, granted, there might be a little a little Easter egg about mm-hmm. next week's episode already <laughs> hidden in this, but that was thoroughly coincidental. <laughs> um, but similarly, the state of California Son of Sam Law was struck down in 2002 after being used against Barry Keenan, uh, one of the men who kidnapped Frank Sinatra Jr. in 1963. So fascinating. Yeah, who would have ever guessed that today's case would overlap with all of these things. Yeah, that's incredible. So after several revisions, New York adopted a new Son of Sam law in 2001. This law requires that victims of crimes be notified whenever a person convicted of a crime receives 10000 U.S. dollars or more from virtually any source. The law then attaches a springing statute of limitations, giving victims an extended period of time to sue the perpetrator of the crime in civil court for their crimes. And the law also authorizes a state agency, the Crime Victims Board, to act on the victim's behalf in some limited circumstances. And even though it's been challenged a few times in court, this law is still on the books. It just, it feels like then the onus is on the victims, and it shouldn't be, you know? It's complicated. Hmm, Interesting. And there are even more Son of Sam laws that now target the sale of murderabilia. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of ways that this case is continuing to affect the landscape around us. To get into the pop culture directly inspired by the case, in 1978, Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin, who, if you remember from Kirsten received a handwritten letter from someone who claimed to be the 44 caliber killer. Mm. Uh, well, he began collaborating with writer Dick Shop. They published 44 caliber, a novelized account of the murders less than a year after Berkowitz's arrest. The highly fictionalized plot revolves around the exploits of a Berkowitz-based character dubbed Bernard Rosenfeld. Outside of North America, the book was renamed Son of Sam. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing they realized that other countries were less familiar with ammunition than America. (laughs) (laughs) Much more recently, the 2016 young adult novel Burn Baby Burn by Mag Medina is set in New York during 1977 and depicts how fear of being one of Son of Sam's victims affected the daily lives of people. Uh, That received positive reviews from Publishers Weekly, The School Library Journal, Book Pages, Kirkus, and Hornbook. All of them named it one of the best books of 2016. Mm. While writing the novel, Medina drew from her own personal experiences growing up in New York City during 1977, which she states was, quote, 
Just an epic year in New York City's collective history. It felt like everything was at the brink of disaster, and yet there was this energy, this scary yet thrilling chaotic energy." End quote. So that really aligns into kind of our discussion at the start of all of these episodes mm-hmm. of just the chaos, the dichotomy, the good, the bad, all of it of New York City at the time. Yeah. And so Meg, the author of this book, was only 13 when Berkowitz was captured and arrested. So she also conducted extensive research and interviewed people who were teens or adults during that point in time to make it as accurate as possible. Hmm. Moving on, Berkowitz is also referred to by Lee Child in his Jack Reacher series short novella High Heat from Hmm. 2013. Hmm. And then obviously there's tons of nonfiction books about the case. Um, I didn't feel like it added too much to just list out their titles, but there's tons and tons Mm, yeah so as we transition over to tv and movies uh we have to start with spike lee's 1999 crime thriller summer of sam Mm. this movie is about the murders and their effects on a group of fictional residents of an italian-american neighborhood in the bronx in the late 1970s Mm. so the cast was stacked john leguizamo adrian brody mira servino bb newworth patty lapone Michael Badalucco is Berkowitz, but critically, it was a mixed bag. It premiered at Cannes in 1999 and was released in the United States later that year. Uh, mixed reviews from critics, it has a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The consensus there states, quote, Spike Lee offers intense visuals, but his storytelling feels crowded and overambitious, end mm-hmm. quote. Uh, Metacritic, it has 67 out of 100 generally favorable reviews. Audiences surveyed by CinemaScore gave it a D- minus on the A to F grade. Really? That surprised yeah, me. It was surprising to me, too. Like, I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but it did one thing perfectly, at least, and that was to annoy the shit out of Berkowitz. <laughs> He was reported to be disturbed by what he called exploitation of, quote, the ugliness of the past, end quote. (laughs) It's like, you're the ugliness of the past, fucker. Yeah. Well, he's all born again now, so. So love it or hate it, that film did some good in this world. (laughs) (laughs) But back to culture. Other movie portrayals of Berkowitz include German actor Uli Lomel's Son of Sam in 2008, the CBS television movie Out of the Darkness from 1985. I couldn't find much about either of these, but in Out of the Darkness, Martin Sheen plays the detective Eddie Zigo. Robert Traber plays Berkowitz, and Charlie Sheen plays Man Shaving. (laughs) (laughs) So just a light sprinkling of nepotism. (laughs) There is a bit more, however, uh, in the realm of television, So the character of Son of Sam played a significant minor role in the 2007 miniseries The Bronx is Burning. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the show debuted on ESPN and is adapted from Jonathan Mailer's best-selling book, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Bronx is Burning. And it focuses on baseball's triumph over the turmoil and hysteria of 1977 and how the Yankees came to embody the hopes and fears of that unforgettable summer. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so not something I would necessarily gravitate toward. I was like, oh, this was on ESPN? (laughs) 
that yeah that's really interesting and then we have the beloved mine hunter mm. from 2019 which i will not forgive netflix for not making more seasons are they done now well i'll actually explain it through here a little bit Uh, So for the listener, if you're unfamiliar, Mindhunter is an American psychological thriller series that's based on the 1995 true crime book Mindhunter inside the FBI's elite serial crime unit written by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker. Which, if you haven't read it, do, because it's a masterpiece. Yeah, the, the miniseries was executive produced by Charlize Theron, David Fincher, who is also the series' most frequent director and de facto showrunner, and Joe Pinhall. Oh, I didn't know that. I had no idea. And call back to David Fincher, who we've talked about before because of Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah, yeah. The show stars Jonathan Groff, Holt McElhaney, and Anna Torv. Mm. There are tons of real-life killers portrayed in the show, and actor Oliver Cooper is the one who played Berkowitz. So uncanny. I mean, it's crazy. It is so good. Yeah. Season 1, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Season 2, 99, nominated for Emmys, uh, Writers Guild of America Awards, Satellite Awards. Technically, it's not completely canceled but it is on indefinite hold because Fincher wants to pursue other projects he left the door open a tiny bit saying he may revisit the series in the future but I'll believe it when I see it yeah I get it it's canceled yeah I mean I would say if you're not someone who enjoys reading by all means watch the series and love it and But if you're someone who likes to read, I would say do both because there's enough additional detail in the books that it's completely worth it. You're not, by watching the series, you're not getting 100% of everything. Um, And I've read several of John Douglas's books. You know, I have complicated feelings about him, but his books are really good. When the actor playing Ed Gein grabbed Holden's throat, was talking about the cartilaginous flesh. <laughs> Plus all the the Ed Kemper scenes. Oh, I mean, just all all of it, all of it. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> uh, most recently in 2021, Netflix released the documentary series "The Son of Sam: A Descent into Darkness." And this one goes back into describing the satanic cult theory as Mm. well as Maori Terry's investigations into the case. Mm. And then, of course, we have. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched it either. There's so much, so many true crime docs. Well, I'm so interested in the cult theory. And I, you know, we talked about it, but I feel like I, I don't know even a fraction of what I would like to about that. So that's a good one to add to the queue. Mm-hmm. The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness. Okay. And then our smaller references. In the Seinfeld episode, The Diplomats Club, Kramer uses the mailbag of David Berkowitz, owned by Newman, as collateral for a bet on airplane arrival times. <laughs> Another Seinfeld episode, The Frogger, Kramer proposes the name Son of Dad as a nickname for a new serial killer. 
another one, another Seinfeld episode, <laughs> the junk mail. Jerry's friend Frankie finds George in Jerry's van and says through the closed driver's side door, Seinfeld's van. George mistakes this for son of Sam and exclaims, <laughs> I knew it wasn't Berkowitz. <laughs> so stepping away from Seinfeld and Kirsten, I, I suspect you know this one. In the episode of The Tell of Only Murders in the Building, several characters play a card game created for the television show called Son of Sam. Mm -hmm. And if you're unfamiliar, it's pretty much a take on the game Mafia, where Mm -hmm. one player is assigned to be the killer, in this case, the Son of Sam, who eliminates the other players over a series of rounds. Yeah, so I just did a quick look up to see what might be at the root of all those references. And I mean, obviously you think of New York City when you think of Seinfeld, but he was born in Brooklyn um, and was raised in the city. And so he would have been, you know, 20-ish around the time, 2021 in that summer. So that seems like an inciting incident for him. Perhaps <laughs> one day we'll interview him. <laughs> yes. So shifting the focus over to music, first I'm going to talk about a song that isn't about the case, but many sources said was about the case. And it's the incredible song Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. Mm. I'm still going to put it on the playlist just because it's such a good song. Yeah. But why bring it up? So it was released as a single in December 1977, and it instantly became associated in pop culture with The Son of Sam. Mm, Yeah. So the band has always insisted that the song had no inspiration from the events. The song was actually composed starting in 1975. There's still a lot of websites that mistakenly connect this song to the case, but even though it wasn't written about it, like, Pop culture said, we don't care. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks you're about this, so you are now about this. Yeah. (laughs) Psycho killer gets good pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Ah, So good. Now, there's another song that claims to not be inspired by the case, but I don't buy it. Okay, let's hear it. It's the song literally titled Son of Sam by Elliot Smith. (laughs) Okay, let's hear why it's not related. Smith explained his stance saying, quote, it's not about the serial killer. I'm not sure exactly what it's about because it just sort of telling someone a dream you had last night. There are some destructive figures in it, Son of Sam, Shiva, but Shiva's also associated with creativity. I'm not sure. It's just an impressionistic song about destruction and creativity, I guess, if it's about anything, end quote. I mean, that's a non-denial denial. denial. Like, so he's saying he just got the title from, but it's about whatever. Yeah, but it's still about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. I mean, the destruction is still the destruction of the Son of Sam. Right. And the name of it is the Son of Sam. Well, it's like when I shout at the radio when Carly Simon sings You're So Vain, you probably think the song is about you. And I'm like, but it literally is. And it is. Son of Sam can't be about anything other than Son of Sam. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, nobody said the lyrics are a, like... One-to-one. Gregorian chant retelling of (laughs) the case one by one. But, yeah, so it was like, Elliot Smith denies this song is about the son of Sam. And it's like, no. (laughs) I, I like that, a Gregorian chant recounting. But now we can talk about a few songs that most definitely are about or inspired by the case, including 1977's Son of Sam by Chain Gang and 1978's Son of Sam by the Dead Boys. Also in 1978, there's a song, El Hijo de Sam by Domenico y los Indigos del Caribe. Eleven years later, we then get Looking Down the Barrel of the Gun by the Beastie Boys. The song features the line, quote, Predetermined destiny is who I am. You got your fingers on the trigger like the son of Sam. I am like clockwork orange going off on the town, end quote. Mm. Uh, Paul's Boutique, the album that features this song, is sometimes described as the Sgt. Pepper of hip-hop. And it's been placed on several lists of the greatest albums of all time. Oh, interesting. Also, it's viewed by many critics as a landmark album of the golden age of hip-hop. In the same vein, most recently rapper Chris Calico released his 2013 album entitled Son of Sam. Then in 2016, rapper Lucky released an EP entitled Son of Sam. That one features artwork depicting a page of the first Son of Sam letter. Hmm. Rounding out the music scene, sort of rapid fire. Todd Rundgren mentions of the Son of Sam on his song Bag Lady in his 1978 album Hermit of Mink Hollow. Billy Joel mentioned the events in the opening line of his song Close to the Borderline, which came from his 1980 album Glass Houses. Hmm. That song starts off, quote, Blackout, heat wave, 44 caliber homicide, the bums drop dead and the dogs go mad and packs on the west side, end hmm. quote. Hmm. Guitarist Scott Pateski used the stage name Daisy Berkowitz while playing with Marilyn Manson in the 90s. And the band's song, Son of Sam, directly describes Berkowitz. Hmm. Several other rock musicians established a full ensemble named Son of Sam during 2000. And of course, the band plays horror punk music, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) The band Shinedown include a song named Son of Sam on their 2008 album, The Sound of Madness. Weirdly, that CD lived in my car for years, and then I saw them live. (laughs) (laughs) Then, probably most bizarre, a cartoon composite of Berkowitz and the breakfast cereal icon Toucan Sam was featured in Green Jelly's comedy rock video for the song Serial Killer, spelled C-E-R-E-A-L. Uh... Unfortunately for the world, this cartoon, Toucan Son of Sam, was later removed under threat of copyright lawsuit by the Kellogg Company. And I know, listener, you were hoping to hear some of the lyrics of this song, so I pulled a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, Serial killer, follow your nose, it always knows, the flavor of death wherever it goes, terror in the supermarket, shoppers are in horror, shredded boxes in the aisles, corpses on the floor, those who ran this joy is mine, now they're going to pay, super gory slaughter, now the order of the day, 
Toucan, son of Sam. Toucan, son of Sam. Toucan, son of Sam. Toucan, son of Sam. <laughs> End quote. Mm. But I don't want that to be the last thing you hear. So before we go, <laughs> I want to talk about this case, pop culture, politics, and the culture wars. So the media frenzy surrounding these murders was, again, unprecedented at the time, especially in the tabloids. Quite possibly, of all of the lasting effects of these horrific crimes, one of the most insidious repercussions is that they helped Rupert Murdoch find a foothold in the United States. I'm pulling a lot of this info from a really fantastic Rolling Stone article entitled How Son of Sam Changed America by Katie Drell. Mm. Though the Daily News was the city's most popular tabloid at the time, Murdoch purchased the once lively New York Post in late 1976, when he was still a relatively unknown Australian media mogul. Mm -hmm. According to the article, the first indication of the Post's new direction came in July 77, after the New York City blackout resulted in a wave of looting and arson. Using his innate ability to know when scared people can be exploited, Murdoch ran a quote, blackout special edition of the paper that displayed all of the sensationalism and race baiting for which he's now a fucked up icon. Mm. Though the issue got plenty of criticism, including from New York City Mayor A. Beam, who said the post, quote, made Hustler look like the Harvard Law Review, end quote. Dang, 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 dang. It sold like gangbusters. Ugh. It was all the encouragement Rupert needed to start a frantic battle of one-upmanship and sensationalism with the Daily News. Murdoch got scooped after Berkowitz sent his handwritten letter to the Daily News, uh, and Murdoch was so mad that he directed his own lead columnist, Steve Dunleavy, to make a story out of anything he could possibly find, breaking any sort of journalistic integrity, even for a tabloid. Wait. Murdoch owned the Daily News? No, Murdoch owns the New York Post, and he was furious that Berkowitz wrote to the Daily News. Okay, okay. So the Post even ran a front-page appeal to the son of Sam to give himself up. To the Post, not to the police. Gross. It was insane. Four journalists from the Post, the Daily News, Time, and the Washington Post were arrested trying to break into Berkowitz's apartment. Dunleavy got hold of some love letters that Son of Sam sent to a girlfriend during that event, and the Post ran a front-page story titled, quote, How I Became a Mass Killer, end quote. Looking back, even Rupert Murdoch himself conceded that the Post had gone a little overboard with that one. Oh my god. Yeah, disgusted faces. It's terrible. So a direct quote from the article. Quote, In starting a modern tabloid war, Rupert Murdoch's post reshaped the entire narrative of the killings. Sure, Berkowitz was a scary and unknowable threat, but he wasn't wildly prolific when it came to the pantheon of 20th century serial killers. What Murdoch understood inherently is that fear sells papers. Both the Daily News and the Post moved millions of copies the day after Berkowitz was caught, far above their daily averages. Somehow the tabloids had managed to get ahead of more staid journalistic institutions, not only capitalizing on the Son of Sam murders, but actually becoming a part of the narrative by communicating, sometimes directly, with the killer. Murdoch reinvigorated the kind of yellow journalism that hadn't been seen in America in generations. 
While it's hard to draw a straight line from the Son of Sam coverage to the clickbait, fake news, nonsense of today, the similarities are undeniable. Stories only mildly relevant to the actual news getting above the fold attention. Hot takes that are less fact and more fact adjacent, sucking all the air out of the room, shaping the way the public takes in any given stories. Cable and internet news, wildly reliant on this approach, seem like direct descendants of the new media norm that the competing dailies created around the son of Sam. With their handling of the case, the tabloids showed that they could pad out a salacious story by harping on the parts most likely to shock and terrify, and the rest of the media hasn't looked back. End quote. And that, folks, is the pop culture legacy of this case. That is incredible. And the more I learn about the son of Sam, the more linked it feels in so many ways to the Zodiac, because that part of this case feels so similar to the interaction with the media and then what the media did with that in the Zodiac case. And learning that fear sells and looking at like what Fox News has turned into with yeah. Rupert Murdoch and just keeping people terrorized and racist and tribalized yeah. and nationalized makes him money. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing that I remember hearing a lot about in the marketing for the Son of Sam movie um, the Spike Lee movie when it came out is that he was working really hard to make the city a character in the movie and the feeling of that summer, what it felt like to be alive in the city that summer. And so much of it is because of the media and how it told the story. So yeah. interesting. What a piece of shit. But yeah, I mean, the connection between that and the media landscape that we have today feels very direct to me. Mm -hmm. Well, especially since Rupert went on to create our media landscape of today. Right, right. Ugh. Wow, that's so interesting. Ugh, I'm fucked up. Very much so. I really didn't know the extent of the Son of Sam laws, and I thought they were still in effect. I mean, I'm one of those kind of dumb Americans who's like, oh, yeah, nobody can make money off of a crime. And, like, you can, actually in some circumstances and there, there are limits. And so that was all really good information that I didn't know. Yeah. And maybe it'll come up uh, in the next episode or two. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you never know what we're going to do over here. But listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. A hundred and ten percent. Boop. Boop, boop. <laughs> head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 